doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Man, that feels like that was such a long time ago. Actually, the Edmonton Eskimos, if I can use that name, actually uh, lead right off the top with a touchdown that was scored. How are we going to handle this, Robin? How are we going to move forward now? (laughs) Well, I think I hope we're going to move forward with an actual name, Bryn. Um, The Edmonton Football Club doesn't make it at all for me. So uh, let's get a name. Let's... uh, as you say, move forward with the name. But it is interesting when you look back, there's a lot of history in this town, a lot of good history, a lot of great cups, and they're all attached to that Eskimo's name. So I guess depending on what your angle is, uh, are people going to really get upset uh, when the team is referred to the Eskimos back when they were the Eskimos? Pretty good question, huh? Well, you know what? When Gizmo was doing backflips in the end zone – Warren Moon was finding Brian Kelly in the end zone. You had Wilkie, Jackie Parker, Don Getty. They all played for the Edmonton Eskimos back in the day. I'm not planning on changing any I'm not planning on changing any thoughts on how I look back at the football team. Am I going to look forward to them with a new name? Absolutely I will. Will I call them the new name? Absolutely. Would would I be inclined to go out and buy the t-shirt and the hat? Absolutely. But I'm not getting rid of my Edmonton Eskimo stuff that I had here as a kid from the Edmonton Knothole Gang where I basically learned how to watch football and watch Dave Cutler split the uprights on a regular basis or watch those big, bad Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Bill Baker come into town with Ronnie Lancaster and George Reed back in the days. I'm just not going to change how I view the team from the past. But moving forward, yeah, I'll totally respect the decision that's been made. But... uh, uh, like I said, we might have to change the st- the top of the show. Uh, you know what? We'll throw it out there for anybody. Uh, feedback is always a great thing, and you're always welcome to drop us an email. And it's real simple. You can email us at mightymouth at shaw.ca. Give us your thoughts on that. When we talk about erasing the Edmonton Eskimo name, are we talking about erasing it forever and ever and ever, or are we just talking about moving forward with a new name? You have a thought on that, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know what? Uh, And this term comes up a lot lately, Bryn. You know, this cancel culture. Uh, You know, what we don't need um, is somebody getting all worked up over a reference to the Edmonton Eskimos at the time they were the Edmonton Eskimos. Yes, we've moved forward. It's been determined that that name shall not be used. What you don't want is the equivalent of people throwing a rope over the statue of John A. McDonald and dragging it off a base into a crowd of uh, screaming protesters. Now, don't get me wrong. If you have a reason why you don't want John A. McDonald celebrated, then call your politician, be it provincial, federal, civic, anybody in the background, because we've had issues with, with civic people here uh, even Bryn, um, you don't vandalize things, throw paint all over everything because you're unhappy about it. If you want somebody gone from your site, that's one thing. Maybe the name belongs in a museum as part of history that happened. You can't change history for better or worse. But you, what you don't need to do is vandalize buildings burn things down, uh, that kind of thing. It doesn't help anybody moving forward. So let's not do a John A. McDonald thing here, and let let me be clear. John A. McDonald and his history, both positive and negative, uh, is a lot more important than uh, talking about sports and a football team. But let's just do it the right way, move forward, if you don't want John A. McDonald or anybody else there, get a hold of the people you need to get a hold of. Remove them from public sight. Uh, 
put them in the museum where the references are historic only and move along. Let's not vandalize and burn and damage things that uh, we don't agree with. Uh, for me, it's as simple as that. Torches and pitchforks down at at Churchill Square. Oh, wait a minute. He had a checkered past as well. wonder when that statue is coming down. Okay, let's move on. Checkered pasts. The sports. A lot of us have checkered <laughs> pasts. Uh, yeah, let's move on to sports. Let's talk about what's been going on with the National Hockey League because, well, our guest coming up in a few minutes, uh, Ian McIntyre, long-time, well, he, now I can actually say long-time broadcaster and journalist from Vancouver. We're going to talk about the Vancouver Canucks today because they've surprised a lot of people. But before we start talking about the Canucks with Ian, let's talk about how well the bubble's gone for the National Hockey League. They still have not had a single provided we're getting the truth, have not had a positive COVID test so far. So I guess we would have to say that the uh, the whole bubble thing is working beautifully. Well, re- remarkably, actually, when you consider the number of people involved, uh, if you go back to the start of the play-in, it's, it's been done right. We've seen uh, other leagues... Uh, have their versions of the bubble. We've seen baseball outside the bubble. That hasn't gone well. This is this has uh, been as good as organizers could have possibly hoped. There was a lot of work done to make sure uh, that the people, uh, the players, and the team officials were separated. Uh, they couldn't just wander downtown, and it's worked. That's the most important thing here, Brennan. I'm sure you agree. You want to get the season completed with the playoffs you want to give out the stanley cup but you don't want to do it at any cost where people are getting sick and now you've got a another health crisis on your hands uh, or the one that we've got on our hands gets worse in the name of handing out silverware but if you can get it done like they've got it done here and the biggest problem is uh boston fans being pissed off with tuka rask because uh he went home um, that's a good thing because it's been done very well. Here's the other thing. The only thing that I've really not liked about this whole bubble thing, well, there's two things. One, I'm really struggling with no crowd, obviously. A lot of people are. They've done a pretty good job of pumping crowd, crowd noise in that's been somewhat appropriate. Uh, the, the only thing that I have really not liked at all through these playoffs is the officiating. This is not what I would consider typical National Hockey League playoff officiating. We're seeing some stuff let go that I'm thinking, I can't believe you didn't call that. But more than not, I'm seeing stuff called and I'm going, you're going to call that in a playoff game? You never would have done that before. Are you seeing it the same way? Inconsistency in officiating. (laughs) Stop the presses. Yeah. You know what? I'm with you. You know, you can look at stuff. I go on. I I fall on the side of letting them play. Now that does not mean let them play when they're driving a guy into the boards uh, from the numbers. Sure, uh, it doesn't. You know, let them play when it comes to the goofy stuff. But the little hooks and tugs. You know, I guess people say, well, if you got the rules, you got to enforce them. Yeah, I get that. But if they do let some of that go, I'm a lot less offended than I am by watching a cavalcade to the penalty box while Billy or Bobby by the book uh, calls everything he sees and fans are watching uh, special teams all night. So if it's not stupid, if it's not dangerous, and they let it slide a couple of degrees, I'm okay with it. It's funny, too, because going into the play-in round, and I looked at the Edmonton Oilers, for example, with the number one power play through the season, and I'm thinking, well, they're mm-hmm. never they're never going to get a chance to be on the power play. This is the playoffs we're talking about here. They had a lot of power play opportunities, but they just went really cold at the wrong time. And then five on five, their bottom six guys just couldn't do it. And then defensively, they were a mess. And goaltending is, I, I don't know what they're going to do in the off season, but I just never expected to see this many power plays or teams on the PK in what we consider a playoff round. That's the only thing that's been bugging me about the way things have gone 
everything else, I've been very amazed. And I guess we have to tip our hockey helmet to Gary Bettman and everybody. They've done a remarkable job, plus all the volunteer people and uh, all the people at the two arenas in Toronto and Edmonton for what they've done. We'll obviously Mm -hmm. talk with Ian coming up in a couple of moments about inside the bubble as well, not only just the Vancouver Canucks, but for the most part, it's gone pretty pretty smoothly. And now that there's a little bit of a chill in the air, it's getting a little easier to start to watch the hockey a little bit rather than sit out on the back deck and just run in once in a while to check a score. Well, I tell you what, Bryn, um, it's getting more compelling than I thought it might be around here. First of all, the Bruins are out. Yes. And that's not... That's, uh, you know, uh, hey, they were playing a good hockey club, but that's, uh, it's always fun to have the Bruins around. And here's the other thing that the Dallas Colorado series has turned into a real ass kicking series. I, it's a lot of people were thinking Colorado was going to steamroll them. And that's not the case. Mind you, they certainly did it to them last night, but, uh, this is a better series than I thought it would be. And who knows by the time somebody's downloading this podcast, we could have Colorado out. Might see a surprise. Dallas might be out. You never know. The uh, mm-hmm. It's all boiled down to net minding, too, as it always does. Goaltending is always so essential in the postseason. And you got to get some remarkable efforts out of those bottom six guys, which is where the Vancouver Canucks have really looked good for me. The Vancouver Canucks are getting it from absolutely everybody and, of course, from their superstar. So uh, we'll get to Ian coming up here in a middle in a minute. It's uh, it's going to be weird to talk to him in a couple of seconds because he golfed today in Edmonton, and I bet you he's never come here to cover the Vancouver Canucks playing the Edmonton Oilers, and he's been able to sneak in around a golf in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Well, I tell you what, Mac. If there's a chance to play golf, he will. He might hold the record for rounds on the on the road in a year. Really? Um, I mean, he, oh. He was an avid golfer. I mean, don't forget, Bryn, him and I were uh, two-thirds of the sports department uh, back at the Kamloops Daily News covering the Blazers. I got out of there a couple years before him and came to the Edmonton Journal. He, he left shortly after and uh, went down to Vancouver and has been covering that team ever since. He's now one of the uh, senior guys and one of the old guys on the beat. He's he may be the last man standing before we're we're done. You know, he saw what was happening at the papers and and went to Sportsnet a little while ago. But he's been on that Canucks beat for one outlet or another since I want to say 1992. Anybody who's been watching the Canuck broadcasts, it's uh, Dan Murphy and uh, Ian. I'll tell you what. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to him. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Joining us from kind of inside the bubble in Edmonton is longtime journalist and now star of Sportsnet in Vancouver, along with that Murph guy, is uh, Ian McIntyre. Ian, how are you and welcome to Edmonton? Uh, well, thank you, Bryn, and hello, Robin. And uh, I, I've been in Edmonton a long time. <laughs> I feel like, you know, where were you a month ago when I arrived? I, I could have used the welcome then, but it, it's it's been a great experience. I wasn't sure how uh, this summer Stanley Cup tournament in a fanless vacuum would go, but the hockey has been fantastic. So I, I think that's the, the most important thing. And everybody's been safe. That's actually the most important thing. It's amazing. It's funny. Off the top, yeah. Robin and I were just talking about that, the fact that if the National Hockey League has given it to us straight, if they had no positive tests at all, and when you take a look at what the NBA and Major League Baseball have gone through, that's pretty remarkable, is it not? Well, I think it. I, I think it's incredible. I think, you know, it, it's a pain. To be honest, uh, a lot of this sometimes is a pain in pain in the butt. Uh, having zero access to practices, uh, I thought, and and to some degree, still think was an unnecessary barrier for the reporters. They've let very few of us inside the arena at all uh, to see games. 
And I also wondered, you know, whether their plans for players was, was too restrictive and, and whether the players would actually be able to tolerate them over an extended period of time. Because we are, uh, for as long as this has been going on, we are, believe it or not, just a little past the halfway point uh, in terms of time for the tournament. But when you have uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of these tests and not one positive one, I think you have to acknowledge, uh, much as it pains me, because I'd like to have more access, you'd have to acknowledge that the NHL, you know, got it right in, in making that the top priority. Because if you don't keep the players healthy, nothing else is going to happen. And they've been able to keep their players healthier than any of the other leagues or sports organizations that are trying to continue in the time of COVID. Well, that's the thing, Ian, and, and Bryn and I were talking earlier. It's nice to get a season completed with a Stanley Cup presented, but it doesn't matter a damn if you're handing out silverware, but players and other people off the ice are getting sick and you're starting a, a whole new wave of COVID. The way it's gone now, it's not perfect, but people are healthy and they're playing hockey. Yeah, and, and the hockey is very good. And we're, I think the players themselves deserve a lot of credit because I thought uh, the training camps, which seemed like they were two years ago now, it was July 13th that training camps opened. And during training camps, players obviously were told to be careful and they were given strict guidelines long before then about how they should conduct themselves, but they still had freedom. They still... Guys were living in their apartments or with, at home with their families. And I thought that the training camps themselves would just be uh, uh, a COVID gong show, just not because the players are still exposed to society and everything in the community that we're exposed to. And yet, uh, but for a couple of rare outbreaks that seem to have gotten under control really quickly, there was there were very few positive tests even then in training camp. So once they got from there into the bubble, I thought there was a pretty good chance they'd be able to to pull this off. So you know, credit to uh, both the league and the players. They're they're going to get a Stanley Cup played during this extraordinary 2020 year, and there will be a champion, and there will be a continuous line of Stanley Cup champions now for the foreseeable future. We hope. Ian, Ian uh, oh, sorry, sorry, a couple, Robin. A couple ahead. things. Yes, yeah, that's fine, Brent. Uh, uh, two things, Mac. Um, aside from the uh, access to players issue, uh, what do you find the most jarring about the setup here? Is it no people in the stands and a bunch of tarps and, and monitors? Uh, and and the uh, the other thing is this: Do you see when this is done, the National Hockey League? being able to take away anything from this that gets used, even when we get back to, I would hope at some point, what we call normal. All right. Well, remind me of the second question in a minute. If, if I don't, if I don't get to it, I, I find, I find everything jarring, but it's like anything else in life after a couple of weeks and routine, you start to get used to it. I mean, the, again, the hardest thing is the detachment from the players, the inability to actually have a conversation. Uh, all the access, of course, has been conducted by by Zoom, and that includes post-game. And so it, it's strange to cover a game, and instead of going to the dressing room, you go to a uh, an interview room where on closed-circuit television, uh, those of us in attendance, and usually uh, it's only two or three or four reporters per game, get to ask a question on closed circuit uh, to the players who are sequestered uh, downstairs in, in the arena. And then, and then they follow with zoom. So that, that has been very difficult because so often uh, covering uh, a team and, and you know, this uh, Robin from having covered the Oilers for so many years and the Kamloops Blazers before that, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, when you had a really good, really good uh, other member of the sports department, um, so much of coverage, so much of coverage is about uh, just relationships and, and building trust. And it's not like you, uh, a player is going to give you uh, a scoop necessarily. But if, if someone's not quite on, you can at least have a conversation about it. If someone feels really yeah. good about something, you can flush it out. 
And then there's the whole issue about uh, feature stories, which we all love to do and, and really is what sets us apart, I think, in, in the profession from a lot of people who are doing this as a labor of love or just trying to break into the business is that we can tell stories with access that, that uh, allow readers uh, a glimpse of the actual people uh, and see the players as more than just players. And of course, that has been all but impossible to do those kind of stories uh, during this. So other than that, the, the things that, you know, my personal gripes <laughs> is that we've had so many games and I know, you know, Sportsnet uh, has a big say in this, but the NHL has run so many games at 8.30 at night, uh, Edmonton time, yeah. 7.45 Edmonton time. And so there's just not a whole lot of time after uh, to turn things around. And other than that, my, my less uh, severe gripe, and I know these are all minor compared to what's really going on in the world in 2020, but I, I'm not sure that uh, if I climbed inside the deep freezer in the basement of my house, I'm not sure that I wouldn't be warmer in there than I am <laughs> in Roger's place. I had, I had to go to sport check. And thank goodness they had leftovers from winter. Buy some of those chemical hand warmers from Sport Check, so that uh, I can I can keep the feeling in my hands, so that after the game I'm I'm still able to write. It's awfully cold in there, but the games uh, again, the games have been terrific. I think it looks terrific on TV from the from what I've watched, and and that's you know that's the biggest thing. Were, were we going to get a product? Uh, worthy of the the tournament that it's being staged in the name of. And yes, uh, we're seeing whoever wins this Stanley Cup is going to be fully uh, worthy of it. I have to ask you some other bubble questions, and then we'll talk about how much fun this has been for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, granted, by the time somebody downloads this, they might be out. But I- I'm kind of curious to know, so what, what have you been eating? Like, is your nutritional level high? Have you been able to get out at all, or are you kind of in a separate media bubble and they don't want you guys going out either? How is it working like that? Well, um, there has been a lot of isolation. Yeah, there has been a lot of isolation. There's no room service. There's there's no full-service hotels other than the ones who who reopened uh, to fill their rooms with National Hockey League players and staff. So there has been isolation there. But we're not uh, we're not under any restrictions. We are tested every time we go in the arena. Our temperature is taken. We fill out a questionnaire for symptoms. And thank goodness, it's always this moment of hesitation when they zap your your forehead, and you think I feel okay. But what if that shows you know thirty nine point eight? Are they going to let me in the building? So they do they do uh, test us every time we come in. We get a wristband to show that we have been tested. And that's on top of the credential, of course, we have to wear so they know that the NHL has approved us being there at all. But then uh, as far as what happens uh, when we're not working, it's up to us. And then I think we all um, have used the same common sense that those at this time have used to try and not get sick. So there isn't there isn't a whole lot of um, socializing. Uh, I think everyone is careful when they go out. I've eaten a lot of... uh, restaurant meals i've discovered a couple of great places downtown in edmonton well you can plug really them. Like give them a plug if, if you want okay well well bianco which is an mm-hmm. italian place right next to the sherlock holmes has the best uh, garlic prawns i've ever tasted and uh i've i've been in there about five times and i've had the prawns four times so that's how good they are and then bottega on 104th street which is a really cool street um has has been great for a variety of things and and what's really nice about Bottega as well is you can get a high quality meal and at the same time they have some screens where you can watch uh you can watch the game and you don't have to watch the game while eating uh you know chicken fingers and things like that um so i i've i've had meals out uh, i have to admit that uh my lifestyle hasn't been healthy enough we're not going out every day to practices. Our practices are, are essentially spent on our laptops doing the Zoom availability, transcribing and writing. So it's many, many hours at a time in a hotel, which is not healthy. Uh, but we can go out for walks. If my knee wasn't so bad, I'd have been running a bit. But I've been trying to walk the, uh, the uh, parks 
the trails along the North Saskatchewan river are nice, um, to get down and, and just be, uh, among some greenery. Uh, but there isn't, um, and I don't know how to say this without offending some people, but please take it just in the spirit of this meant. There's not a whole lot to do in downtown Edmonton when you were on foot. There's, you know, a mall that's got a bunch of stores still closed. Half of the downtown seems to be torn up for uh, transit construction. And, um, you know, you have the same social uh, issues with homeless and addiction and people on the street that we have in Vancouver and there are in uh, a lot of major cities. Um, a little bit overwhelmingly so at first, especially around the arena. So that was a little bit, um, you know, that took some getting used to. So uh, I haven't lived as well as I would like, but I have seen a lot of great hockey and it has been on the whole a good experience uh, to be here in Edmonton and covering a summer Stanley Cup. Ian, uh, b- before we get on to the Canucks, um, just the second part of that question I had. Uh, I'm glad you I remembered. Yeah. Well, I, I had to. I had to write it down. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when we're out of the norm, as we are now, um, you know, the, the saying is necessity is the mother of invention. So we've got Zoom interviews and that kind of thing. Do you sense there could be any carryovers? from the way they're doing things now to back when we're to what we would want to call normal. The one thing you mentioned is access. Now, I don't know if it'll be squeezed to the point it's been squeezed now, but let's face it. You were in that Canucks dressing room since what? 92. I came to Edmonton in 89. We used to sit and have coffee with the players in the dressing room and just shoot the shit. And you know, you'd get to a story later or sometimes you were just touching base. It's completely different now. It's, it's been going away from that for years. So I don't think it'll go away from that to the point of Zoom calls. But do you sense there's anything moving forward that we might see of, even if it's technology? Yeah, well, I think that's partly uh, those of us who have covered this. Um, I think that's partly our fear because the players hate a lot of, uh, about this and understandably. So what, what they're being asked to do to spend the time in essentially in isolation with one another in the bubble, that's incredibly difficult mentally. Like there are, there are some real mental health ramifications for what the players have been asked to do. And again, we're only halfway through for the, for the teams that are going to go to the final, you know, they, they've got another four plus weeks of this. So there's a lot of things that the players have really had to to sacrifice and endure for them to fulfill their professional obligations. I think I can safely say the one thing they have enjoyed a lot is not having to deal with the media on a daily basis mm-hmm. like they do. And if you take somebody uh, like JT Miller, and I'm not mentioning Miller because you know he in any way has an attitude about the media or is trying to avoid us. That's not that's not the point. The point is, he's a significant player, he's an excellent interview, uh, he's thoughtful and, and for the most part approachable. So on a normal uh, week of hockey, if the Canucks are available six days with games and practices, he's probably doing six to eight availabilities because he'll do some two-a-days where morning skate and then after the game. And on a practice day, it would be rare that people wouldn't ask to talk to J.T. Miller. Well, now with Zoom, he's got, you know, two or three a week. And it's restricted to this very handy little five to ten minute segment where he's in and then he's done. And he doesn't have to do it again. So I think the players are, are quite like the restrictions, uh, the lack of access. Now, not all. Some, uh, some guys genuinely, and this will sound crazy, and a lot of players would guffaw at this, but some guys genuinely would miss the interaction. You know, the, the rapport, the discussion, the give and take of an interview, and, and not just an interview, but just talking hockey. Like w- things that we saw in other games about something this guy said or that guy did or this suspension or that highlight. So some players will miss that, but I worry that um, in the name of safety, 
the restrictions may be maintained either longer than they need to be or more significantly than they need to be. But I think it I think it's not going out on a limb to say until there's a vaccination and the buildings are full, there's going to be severe restrictions in place. Like if if the NHL starts up again in December, unless uh, there are people in the building, the media, the reporters are not going to be in the building with access. We may be in the building uh, uh, quarantined in another area, but we will not have the access to the players. So this is a concern uh, moving forward about, you know, we're never going to get back to those days that you mentioned, Robin, where the, the uh, locker room was basically a meeting place. It was, it was the intersection of, of two streams, one of the, the athletes and one of the people who cover them. And uh, people from both sides were at ease. There were standards that were respected. There were guidelines. Nobody, uh, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but for the most part, the players felt that there was a level of trust uh, about what was said and what was, what was reported. Those days ended you know, really decades ago, probably not since the 1990s. So I know we're never going back to that, but I think we are going to miss something and fans will miss it through our reporting if there isn't enough access for there still to be relationships, for there still to be conversations. And I hope that we'll get back to that, but I don't know when that will be. Ian McIntyre is joining us. He's been covering the beat with the Vancouver Canucks for a long time both uh, through the newspapers, but now most people across the country are familiar with Ian on Sportsnet. Okay, let's get to the Vancouver Canucks. We, we know they're playing in an elimination game prior to, uh, to this probably being released. They could be out by the time this is released. However, Ian, what a fun run it's been for the Vancouver Canucks, and we're seeing so much out of the young guys. Obviously, it starts with the guy between the pipes because if he's not playing out of his mind – they're, you know, they're kind of like a lot of teams in the West, but it's got to be just so much fun just to watch these young guys start to pick it up a little bit. In particular, I've really liked the bottom six guys, but you take it from here. Yeah, well, the um, the the fan base is certainly excited about it. And, um, you know, pardon the pun, but by the time they, they got Vegas in the second round, they're playing for house money because there's there weren't a lot of people outside of the Canucks who thought they would be a playoff team at all this year. And I know some people say, oh, yeah, but they only got in because it's 24 teams. No, they, they got in. They were one of the top 16 teams on winning percentage when the season halted. So whether it was a 16-team tournament, 24-team tournament, they were going to be in. Plus the fact they had they had uh, not just recently acquired Tyler Toffoli when the season shut down. They were going to get more from him. They were getting... Jacob Markstrom back from a minor knee injury. The Canucks were going to be a playoff team, and not many people thought they would. Then they go to the first series against Minnesota, and it really is a toss-up. Two very different teams, but each with strengths and weaknesses. That was a tough series to call. They win that one in four. At that point, you know, that was kind of the over-under, I think, for playoff success. Get through the qualifying round, win a playoff series, which is the first time uh, that any Canuck team had done that since 2011. And then, and then see what experience you get. And half of their roster, including, you know, all these great young players that they have, like Pedersen and, and uh, Besser and Quinn Hughes, Jacob Markstrom had never played a playoff game, which is hard to believe. Bo Horvat had played six games in 2015 when he was a 19 year old rookie. So all these guys now have a lot more experience, but not settling just for the experience. They then go and knock out the Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. And so the the team and, and Travis Green in particular has hated this idea that even if they lose, it's still beneficial because it's going to help the team's development. Well, it is. It is going to help the team's development. And the fact that they've they got three series is going to help exponentially, uh, or or at least in a commensurate way, uh, to having one series because they all get harder, as we know. The team, the opponents get better. Uh, things become more physical. 
uh, things become, uh, especially with this format, I think a lot tougher mentally as, as time goes on. So these are all things that are going to benefit those young players so that, and, and hopefully for the, for the Canucks sake, because, you know, they have suffered a bunch of years, you know, the last four years, only the Buffalo Sabres lost more games than they did before this season. Hopefully they're back at this stage in a quote unquote regular playoffs uh, next year. Although at the very least, it looks like the playoffs will be in summer again. Hopefully they'll have fans and, and they should be uh, a harder out because of this experience. Now that the players know, know what to expect. I think it's been an incredible summer for the team and they do have some special players. They are a team that's going to get better. They should get better. And I think that would have been the case organically, whether they'd made the playoffs this year or not, that all those good young players would be even better next year. Well, now this, this sort of uh, is further, further a curriculum for them. It's, it's more knowledge, it's more experience, and it's going to make them a better team. Well, Ian, you know, you talked about four years. Uh, for people in Edmonton who went through what uh, fans call the uh, decade of darkness here, uh, that doesn't seem too long. Daniel and Henrik arguably were two of the best I want to say dozen or 15 players in the whole league for their time here, at least their, the last 10 years of their careers. You lose two guys like that, you're thinking, okay, how do you restock that cupboard? When I look at the Canucks from afar, I see a guy like Hughes, I see a guy like Besser, and they've become very good very quickly it they, they haven't had to feel their way into the national hockey league as much as some players do the best players are the young players in vancouver i don't know anything that could signal a bright future more than that yeah although like everyone there they have cap issues they have significant free agents including jacob markstrom their their mm-hmm. starting goalie who was their mvp they have guys that they they need to resign there's questions you know, is there going to be money there? And and really, there isn't going to be enough money for any team, uh, any of the good teams, to really do everything they want. So then it's a matter of where are you going to sacrifice? Whom are you willing to let go that you don't want to let go, but you can't afford? So there are questions that way, but I agree with you that the best players are the young players. I've never seen a player like Quinn Hughes. I, I said boldly, and it sounded a lot like hyperbole, uh, before... Uh, he even played uh, at the start of the season that, um, you know, he, he had the potential to be the best defenseman in team history. Well, I think I can say already, he's had one year. He is the best defenseman in team history. They've never had a guy like this. And I'm not sure even Elias Pettersson, who won the Calder Trophy last year, had as, as smooth a transition, a seamless transition to the NHL, as what Quinn Hughes has had, just because Typically, uh, the the position playing defense is harder. It's more complicated. Um, it's tougher physically uh, in in many cases. So uh, those two guys, especially, are are the cornerstones. And then they have you know Horvat and and J T Miller is still under contract at an age where he's going to continue to be good. They have you know good supporting players like uh, Tanner Pearson. Um, Alex Edler is still handy, even though he's getting towards the end of the line. So there's a lot of good pieces in place. And even if Markstrom isn't resigned, they have Thatcher Demko, who is a, a terrific prospect. Hey, this was his first uh, full season in the NHL, although nobody had a full season. So there's a lot of things to feel good about. You just need the improvement to continue. And I think as an organization, they just have to find a way to keep the foot down on the accelerator to keep pushing forward. They, there can't be any sense after this season. Well, we did better than we thought. We've arrived. Because how many times did people in Edmonton see that after a good month or a good half season or, or the year that, that they went to the playoffs uh, with McDavid and, and had a decent run? And, and then the next season, all of a sudden, they're not that team again. So there is always an inherent danger when you achieve something that somehow you let up and and then you're not as good as you think you are. 
but then again, knowing how Pedersen and Hughes in particular are wired and Jacob Markstrom's the same way and Horvat's the same way, they're always pushing. And they don't need any of us to push them. They don't need the fans, the coaching staff. They just need the coaching staff to help them. These guys want to be the best. So I think that the Canucks are going to continue to get better. But there's a lot of tricky work to be done in this offseason to, to kind of maintain the team, try to get it better next year. And then the year after that is when uh, Pedersen and Hughes could be $10 million players. And then you're going to have to make some, make some judgments about oh, yeah. who's getting paid what. Ian McIntyre joining us from Sportsnet, and we're talking about the Vancouver Canucks. We got to give the coaching staff some credit here because I, I really I've loved with Travis Green, other than the little chirping with Reeves the other night. And I'm thinking <laughs> that's a, I love his competitiveness. He's he was like that as a player in junior, and also in the NHL. But he's done a really great job, and so often we never talk about the great job that the coaches are doing, unless they're not doing it. Is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, you're right. You're right. A, a lot of people take it for granted. And I think the, the, the best reflection of the coaching staff is the development that has occurred with all these players on an individual basis. And not just the young guys, mid-career guys. Like JT Miller did have easily his best season uh, in, in the NHL. And I don't have, uh, I can't recall the exact figure, but you know, of the Canucks roster, if you took their 18 sort of regular skaters, about a dozen of them had as good or better a season than they've ever had on an individual basis. So to me, yeah, it's part of the rising tide floating everybody, but it's also part of what the coaching staff has managed to get out of these guys and how they've connected with them to, to get the buy-in that they need to be a good, to be a good team. And I think Travis green is an excellent coach. I, I think he was especially uh, the, the right coach for this group uh, because there were going to be young players who came in under his watch. I think he's the right coach for young players. Of course, coached in the American League, coached Portland with uh, Mike Johnson in, in the Western Hockey League. So he understands young guys and developing pros. But I also think his staff also deserves a lot of credit. And as yeah. much as we, we tend not to credit the head coach, the assistants never get oh, yeah. any love. They only they only get yelled at when the power play is not working. Their penalty kills getting lit up. But Nolan Baumgartner is the guy who's coached the defense, has worked a ton with Quinn Hughes. Uh, Newell Brown is the guy who does a lot of power play work, works with forwards. Manny Mohotra is is kind of an unsung hero on the staff because he does a lot of a little bit of everything. He's still a young coach, and and he's got a huge future uh, as a coach in this league. But he's worked with them on, on face-off, a lot of the little trade craft that players want to know because Manny Malhotra is not so far removed from being a player in this league that he doesn't still have those skills to offer them and show them. And, and so I, it is a good group. And, you know, that's one thing, at least. It, the coaches never count under the salary cap. Oh, and Ian Clark, I should mention him. Ian Clark, the goaltending coach who has gotten more out of Jacob Markstrom uh, than anybody has ever gotten out of Jacob Markstrom. And he's also a guy who uh, Ian Clark has an excellent track record in developing goalies and in other places. And he's going to, you know, develop Demko. Now we don't know what exactly that, how that balance of power is going to work because there, there is an expansion draft a year yeah. from now. It, theoretically, you, you're only going to keep one goalie unless you make a side deal. So uh, we don't know how long the Canucks might have both Demko and Markstrom, but it's a it's a terrific pairing to have right now because you've got the experienced guy mid career right on top of his game, one of the top ten to twelve goalies in the National Hockey League, and then you have an outstanding young goalie slash prospect who's still getting better, and he still has to show that he can be a starter, and he still has to you know bring his save percentage up and be able to handle workload and, and road trips and playing three games and four nights and things like that. But certainly pedigree wise, Thatcher Demko uh, is, has a, is a great canvas uh, for on which uh, Ian Clark can go to work. So they do have, they do have a good staff in place and I hope that they keep all those guys because I know the players respond to them and uh, the team is headed in the right direction under them. Ian, uh, as Bryn mentioned, 
in in hockey writer terms, you're as old as dirt now. And, <laughs> I didn't uh, say he was old as dirt, Robin. Come on. Uh, yeah, well, Robin, Robin, I'm younger than, than you I and always will be. <laughs> And as I said in a text to you the other day, I can still shove you around for fun. Yeah, right. pencil neck. <laughs> Look, uh, this comes up around here occasionally just because it's amazing how quickly time flies and players become uh, memories or YouTube clips. I'm thinking of uh, Pavel Bure. You saw him in Vancouver uh, firsthand for, for quite a while. Most explosive skater, Connor McDavid or Pavel Bure? Mm. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say McDavid because just from the standing start, when you use the word explosive, I think more McDavid than Bure, although Bure was incredibly fast as as well. But I think maybe McDavid gets up to top speed uh, quicker. Mm. But it's a it's a good argument. Um, funny story is, uh, someone, uh, asked me a question because during, during the shutdown in the spring, when there was no hockey and we were all scrambling for things to do and to write, I, I had some, we just called them mailbags where, where readers could ask me questions. And it was an easy way to fill uh, a column on sportsnet.ca. And so one of the questions was, uh, who was faster? Pavel Bure or Sean Antosky. And now a lot of people won't even remember Sean Antosky, but he was a first round pick who was picked to be a role player, fourth line guy, incredible speed. Uh, he hit like, not quite like Ryan Reeves because nobody hits like that, but it, a, a similar template, like a big fast guy whose main job was to run into to opponents. And so I was going to answer this and I started scrolling through the mentions on Twitter and Gino Wojcik answered <laughs> because Gino follows me. He still lives in Vancouver. He's a, yeah. uh, as you would expect a huge Canucks fan, um, had, had, has had some grave health issues, but by, uh, the grace of God is still with us, which we're grateful for. And he said, he actually saw a race. They did. They raced after practice, Sean Antosky versus Pavel Bury in a straight line. And Antosky won. Wow! So, <laughs> so he do eat, Robin. I'm telling you. And if you have take issue with it, you can go talk to Gino and call him a liar. Uh, I, I'm not doing that. No, no. it's good. So, to, it's good to hear he's doing well, though. Mac, yeah. uh, he yeah. he was in grave health a few years ago. Yeah, he was, has, has he written that out now, or no? I think he still has to be careful, but um, uh, he has he has outlived all the initial, uh, uh, you know, outlooks for him when he got sick. So, so that's great. But, uh, you know, to your point about Burry, I mean, Burry was a fabulous skater and, and what to me really set him apart is, is he could handle the pocket top speed and he was agile at top speed, whereas Antosky was a straight line. But as far as that explosiveness, I do think there are guys who probably, uh, have more than Burry. And I think McDavid, is one of those guys, but Burry was easily the most exciting player in Canucks history. Hey, just before we wrap things up here, and we appreciate your time today, uh, I, I was fortunate enough in 1991 to work on the Winnipeg Jets broadcast crew, and I remember doing the, the I used to call it the catwalk of death, where you have one of those in Calgary at the Saddle Dome, where you can go from one side of the press box to the other going up over top of the clock. But I remember at the Pacific Coliseum having a similar one. I think it might have even been more scary than the Calgary one because you could see between the cracks of the plywood. <laughs> and I remember going yep. across very slowly to join my broadcast partner, Kurt Keelback, and I was being watched by the legend, Jim Robson. And he had told me that they'd only lost two broadcasters over the edge in his time. <laughs> but uh, I'm just kind of curious to know how Jim's health is and how he's doing because – Man, when I think of the Canucks and when they got going, he was, uh, well, he's legendary as far as I'm concerned, and I live in Edmonton. Yeah. Well, um, there is still one of those catwalks uh, besides Calgary. San Jose has one that's as scary as anybody's. Mm -hmm. And because they've had some good teams with uh, successful playoff runs, or at least extended playoff runs, 
And they never built a proper press box. They never thought that there might actually be media who would come to a hockey game. So the actual press box holds next to nobody. So they park the extra reporters on little platforms around this catwalk. So you're basically at times looking down between your feet to see the ice. A little bit, a little bit disconcerting. Uh, Jim Robson, uh, uh, you know, I haven't seen him as you would imagine uh, with hockey shut down. I haven't seen him uh, since March, but he is a regular at games. He is still sharp. He loves to talk about hockey. He often sits beside me. Uh, the Canucks alumni do a fantastic job in Vancouver, and the team helps them as you know, looks after them. They have an alumni suite, but sometimes rather than going in the alumni suite, he'll sit on press row with us, and there's often a seat beside me. So Jim will sit there and we'll talk, and it's it's just like uh, you know living history uh, of the Canucks in Vancouver sitting next to Jim Robson because he he's still sharp and say he'll remember this and he'll remember games and players and and incidents and I'll add as well that that Tom Larshide and Larshide and Robson are as iconic I think a a local radio duo Mm -hmm. as probably there has been in hockey in Canada and and Tom Larshide is still around Vancouver as well and uh you know, trying to shoot his age in, in golf and coming very close, but they're both doing, both doing well. And Tom doesn't go to games much, but I see him every now and then. And, uh, they both still love the game and, and are excited about what they see with this Canuck team too. Thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. It's always nice. Why we've not had you on sooner is Robin's fault. Not mine. Yes, clearly. He's, uh, he's been trying to keep us apart but uh, this has been uh, highly entertaining today, and uh, I think it's been fantastic. Are you going to try to defend yourself? Well, I don't need to defend myself. I mean, you know what? I've been watching and reading uh, McIntyre since actually his first year of school when we went to co- the same college together. Um, and then he came to Kamloops uh, uh, and joined our staff. It was, uh, you know what? Uh, and I'm going to, and McIntyre is going to think the punchline's coming at any moment here. Uh, Mac's been a hell of a writer for a long time. And um, he's on top of his game. I read him. He's one of the guys in the league I read. Um, we had a lot of fun coming up together, uh, working together, seeing each other at the rink, even after I came to Edmonton. It's real nice to have him on, and I'm glad he gave us this much time. And if he slips me a few bucks, we'll invite him back. Not not a well, bad don't idea. Us, don't let us go to your head, Robin, because I know it's already the size of a buffalo. But your ability to write as the more senior writer in Calus is what really pushed me. But it was great. We had a great staff there. And at one point, I know we're trying to wrap up the show, but at one oh, point, all right. at one point, the main National Hockey League beat writers for the Vancouver Sun, the Vancouver Province, the Edmonton Journal and the Calgary Herald were all alumni simultaneously of the Kamloops Daily News. Yep. You got that straight. Ian, thanks very much. Uh, I'm glad to hear you got a few rounds of golf in in Edmonton. Where did you golf, by the way? I played uh, Red Red Tail Landing out by the airport. On a windy uh, day? uh, It was windy. Every day has been windy. (laughs) I've been here, it feels like. I played Red Tail Landing and I played uh, Quarry. And the highlight of uh, the golf was on the way here. I stopped and played in Jasper Park Lodge. Oh, yeah. The old Stanley Johnson class. Sweet. One of the best courses in Canada. One of the most beautiful courses in the world. Score, so magazine, I, Score magazine has it number three in the country in their ratings. So it hasn't, it hasn't entirely been all work. But I, okay. I, I do look forward to getting home after this tournament. Ian, thanks. Thanks, Mac. See you guys. Nice being on with you, Bryn and Robin. Take care. Well, there you go, Robin. Ian McIntyre joining us on the show for the first time, but it was uh, it was great. It was good to uh, talk about a lot of things. I, I've really been surprised at how little information we've heard coming out of the bubble in terms of How's it going? What are they eating? You know, all the other stuff, because we, we watch the games all the time. But it's, uh, to me, I just can't imagine what it would be like to be boarded up 
in the JW Marriott or across the street at the Sutton Hotel for that kind of uh, that kind of time. And then it just it, it made me think a little bit about is there going to be a bit of an advantage for the Eastern teams? We know Tampa is already coming to Edmonton now for the the semi for the Eastern final. Is there going to be a little advantage for those Eastern teams coming to Edmonton because it's a little fresher spot, or is it going to be more of a pain in the ass? What do you think? You know what? That's not a bad point, Bryn. I think it could be a bit of a refresher for them. Yeah. Just to get – you're not seeing the same surroundings, the same walk from hotel to rink. Um, it's not a huge thing, but, yeah, when you're – I can't imagine being stuck away this long. You and I did the travel thing. Uh, in the National Hockey League. Uh, I covered some baseball where you'd be in town for, you know, four or five, six nights uh, for a series. And, of course, we have the playoffs. I don't think there's any hotel or setup in the National Hockey League that's nice enough that I would be thrilled to be there for months on end. And I'm not trying to sound spoiled. It's just like, come on, you want to get out and, and see something else. So, uh you know what? They've done a heck of a job. It's working. And I think the East guys coming in might have a little bit more uh, snap in their step when they do. Whether that translates onto the ice, I'm not so sure. But, yeah, a change of scenery can do do a world of good sometimes. It's funny, and I know you were on this road trip with uh, the Oilers and myself, and we were away for 14 days. We had a lot of, a lot of stuff happen. Uh, but – you you really pal around with everybody through maybe mm-hmm. day nine or ten, and then by the time you get to day ten, you don't want to go out for that beer after you arrive in a new city. You just want to go up to your room and maybe rent a movie and just order room service and just kind of try to get away from everybody. I can't even imagine uh-huh. what this would be like. Like You must have felt the same way. There's times where you just can't be with everybody all the time. It's funny. Um I went up to uh, an electronics store today uh, to buy a headset for this, for our podcast. And I ran to somebody I hadn't seen in a long time, Kelly Buckberger. Oh, Bucky. In the store. Well, he's done a great job coaching in the, in the dub. Uh-huh. And he looks as in ridiculous shape as ever still. Um, but the funny thing was, during the lockout year in 0405, when Jeff Ward was the head coach of the Edmonton Roadrunners. Right. Uh, Bucky was an assistant. Joe Patterson was an assistant. We went on a 23-day road trip. Wow. With with American Hockey League travel, if you get my drift. So a lot of buses. Oh, just, just as many buses as there was planes. Jarrett Stoll was on that team. Rafi Torres was on that team. But... And again, hey, it's a great job. You, you, you get to cover hockey for a living, but 23 yeah. days uh, out of a suitcase, that was a bit much. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I know it's time to wrap up. Do you know why? Because I have a visitor down here in my studio. His name is Jax. And uh, I think he, uh-huh. I think he would like to be F-E-D or taken for a W. Ooh. You know what I mean? I can't say it because I he'll, hear he'll be on to me immediately. Listen, uh, sorry we're a well, day late. But we've been trying to get some of the bugs ironed out, and uh, it's nice. Jax, leave me alone, will you? It's, uh, it's nice to, uh, to kind of hook up with Ian today, and it's, it's been a blast. But there's a few things that we got to tell some people about. Jax, please, I'm trying to do something here. Man, oh, man. Uh, anyway, I just want to <laughs> remind everybody that you can email us at mightymouth at shaw.ca. That's mightymouth at shaw.ca. You can check us out on Twitter, which our handle's really quite simple. It's at Outsiders, all in caps, 2020. So that's Outsiders 2020. It's really important, too, for people to tell your friends. And also, if you get an opportunity, subscribe to our RSS feed on your favorite ear candy site. And uh, retweets really push us a long way because... We're looking yeah. for sponsors and people to jump on board with us so we can also have some fun and we can do bigger and greater things. And uh, so it's important to subscribe to us. And also, if you're interested in uh, sponsoring us in some small way, let's talk. And once again, just email us. You can get a hold of me on that one at mightymouth at shaw.ca. All right. I better uh, 
feed the dog. And then I'll have to take him for a bit of a walk. Uh, Robin, thanks for your time today, and we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, pal. Let's get out of here. All right, let's bolt. The was recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.